Welcome, friends. This is Untrained Effort. My name is Laura Vincenzoa Grestova, and I'll be your host. Untrained Effort is a new podcast about performance, politics, and the people that they have in common. I myself am an immigrant, a political scientist, and yes, I've been pretending to make theatre for about 10 years now. I'm currently London-based. And as many of you, I've been faced with the dilemmas of COVID-19. So I've fallen back into the sweet, sweet dreams of owning a radio station. Until I figured out how to do that, here I am sitting in the middle of my kitchen, recording this podcast. I've always been really interested in the intersection of politics and culture. And I will bring you a bias towards performance and theatre, so please don't hold it against me. I hope that together we can explore a specific topic, a theme, dive deep for about 10 minutes, and then hopefully bring an interesting guest that can broaden our horizons show us a different way of thinking about things. I hope to have people from all over the world joining in. And for the very first episode, I go straight to the money. Yes, I dive straight into the money issue and I'm asking, where is the UK arts bailout package? And why has the campaigning for it not been more visible? Let's have a little look at um, the situation so far. As you may remember, theatres officially closed on the 20th of March after uh, Boris Johnson very unhelpfully told people to stay away from theatres the week before. Pretty swiftly, the bodies in charge of implementing um, art strategies and distributing money sat and thought about um, emergency support for both artists and organisations. The Arts Council of England, for instance, used 160 million to put together three different strands of support for organisations individuals and what are called the national portfolio organizations, organizations that are funded on a longer term basis regularly. This money, however, might sound impressive, especially to uh, perhaps people who are outside the country, in countries where there isn't uh, necessarily a state support system for the arts. Was money already committed to the Arts Council? It was money from the existing budget. 
In other places of the country, like in Northern Ireland, for instance, half a million was used from a specific 1.5 million package. And in Scotland, both existing and new money was used to support artists and organisations. In April, 400 different artists signed a letter put forward by the Creative Industry Federation, which you can read uh, in an article of The Guardian dated 26th of April. More recently, in May, 50 peers signed another letter asking specifically for an arts bailout. However, I can't really see that there is a very proactive campaign for an arts bailout. We have seen in the last few days videos circulating, both interviews to theatre owners as well as the director of the National Theatre, for instance. But I feel that there's a bit of a lack of a joined-up campaign and certainly the topic of supporting arts and culture hasn't really appeared in mainstream media, let alone in the government press conferences. So I'm asking, why is that? I think that there's definitely something about the industry being fragmented, and I would argue that it needs a more joined-up approach. But there's also something about the ecology or the uh, environment in which we're operating, uh, because I believe that this government is uh, lacking a cultural strategy and the existing institutions are stifled as a result of that. Now, bear with me for a second. I did say that I'm a political scientist and a bit of a geek. So we're going to be diving straight into the idea of government strategies and institutions. But I promise, I promise it should be, <laughs> I hope, interesting to everyone. Did you know that um, the latest cultural white paper is from the 26th of March 2016? Now, the culture white paper or the white paper in culture Anyway, the paper, the, the paper that is white and about culture, it's the policy that gives the government its strategy or that crystallizes the government strategy in terms of culture. Not having one or having an old one means that the Ministry of Culture, particularly in the UK, that's the Department of Culture, Media and Sport, doesn't really have a roadmap ahead. Now, that ministry is in a contract with the Arts Council, which is kind of the implementation body, uh, the body that puts in place the or makes that ministry strategy a, a reality on the ground, specifically by distributing funds. Now, if these two have a relationship, but one of them doesn't have a roadmap, I can understand why there might be difficulties in implementing things despite the fact that the Arts Council itself has now published its uh, Let's Create document that should govern it for the next 10 years. Moreover, to use a fancy word, the ministers in charge of DCMS were appointed in February 2020. They've been just over a month in their job before theatres closed. That, coupled with the fact that this, the government strategy is based on a document that was issued before the famous referendum, 
on Brexit, which to me sounds just like this seven centuries ago, is, to say the least, quite interesting. Okay, but that's like the environment in which we're operating now and one can say well what do you want to do about this this is nothing that we can affect as artists or as audience members and as participants fair but then we need to look at how does one lobby government in complex democracy that lobbying needs to be um needs to have multiple approaches and crucially, these multiple approaches, talking to multiple uh, levels and partners and institutions, has to have the same message and very and a very strong set of demands, um, and to provide solutions, especially when we're probably sitting across ministers that don't have that roadmap we were just talking about. That means that somehow we do have a window of opportunity to affect the strategy and not only affected now when we need this emergency support to save people's lives and livelihoods but also in a kind of a more long-term setting all right okay so we've looked at the context and we've looked at how maybe lobbying should work now when we think about the creative industries we have to remember this is a an industry that is 111 billion pounds so one should want to save it it is providing lots of uh, employment opportunities to a lot of people and is very diverse that diversity however i think is obviously a massive asset but is also somehow detrimental to an effective lobbying because in this big uh, creative industry performance theatre, to have a voice to weigh in effectively, needs to present a united front. And that, I think, is quite difficult because of how the industry itself works. So on one side, we have a commercial sector, very uh, traditionally regarded and uh, loved West End, um, a West End that attracts a very specific type of audience that um, has a very a big percentage of tourists coming in, which with COVID that is very jeopardized. It's um, a sector that has a very different type of investment and business model compared to the subsidized one. And it's also a sector where theater happens in a very specific place, these big auditoriums, these big historic buildings. And then also a subsidized sector. Again, very fragmented from massive operations like the Royal Opera House or the National Theatre, to tiny, tiny little companies run by freelancers like Global Voices Theatre, which I definitely encourage you to check out. And of course, the life and soul of both sides of the performing arts are individual artists. I have no doubt, and perhaps I'm a bit cynical there, that the large and the economically powerful, more commercial organizations will find a way to have the government here. They always seem to do that by their sheer economical power, but also their size. I fear somehow that this being a power will be used to their own benefits. 
I have heard from colleagues how previous government initiatives like the theatre tax credit shows very clearly that stimulating measures put in place are made with those particular players in mind. In the subsidised sector, something similar occurs where the Arts Council's KPIs, which is the key performance indicators, are directly linked to bigger organisations like the MPOs. And the, the way we report when we receive a grant from the Arts Council is also tailored to those that receive bigger subsidies. I'm not necessarily criticising that. I'm just highlighting it to show that the way the industry is built means that in a times of crisis like now, it's quite difficult, especially for mid and small organisations and individuals to affect change and be part of this lobbying that is necessary in order to receive a specific help. I think that what is needed is kind of more nimble institutions that have a better link with cultural producers throughout the different levels of what culture is uh, and that those institutions need to be able to be plugged in more effectively with the grassroots. How can we find a way together to have an effective effect on the government's decisions in the next couple of months? And one of the things that really comes to mind is that we need to galvanise public support for the arts. And I think this is currently lacking, despite the very interesting paradox that COVID created. With the lockdown, I think that there's been an increase of um, recognition of the arts and culture as fundamental to our lives, not just as an add-on. Because suddenly we all found ourselves in this isolated, strange, um, distressing time. And so we turn to books and music and podcasts uh, and a whole range of, of cultural products. However, lots of them are out there, especially digitally, for free. So the paradox that I want to note here is this growth in um, acceptance that the arts are fundamental, yet a lesser investment, at least individually, in, in the arts that we consume. I just want to really have that paradox at the forefront of our minds when we talk about a public support for an arts bailout. Because my argument is that cultural leaders and their communities, and that's crucial because it's only with the people who recognise the importance of the arts that we can progress, we have to work in tandem to really harness this reinvigorated understanding of the arts as fundamental to life, to then publicly campaign for a tailored rescue package that not only saves the big boys of the theatre world, but also guarantees the survival of small companies and individuals so they can continue changing our lives for the better. While I prepare this episode, I can't stop thinking about Chile, a country with activist artists. I decided to interview Claudio Fuentes, 
director of Santiago Off Festival and Foundation. In our chat, Claudio explains eloquently where Chilean artists get their activist strike, how the dictatorship of Pinochet has shaped the sector into a militant one, and how the ultra-neoliberal state post-Pinochet has designed a funding model based exclusively on the idea of competition, or, as we know it well here in the UK, on endless applications. He tells me about the protest which started in October 2019 and how the long-awaited vote on the new constitution was trumped by Covid and the lockdown. I asked him specifically about what I have heard, that Chilean artists refused in May the government's financial support. Here is Claudio, in his English voice but Rob Bellman. Se le está haciendo un petitorio a un gobierno que ya venía funcionando eh, mal. Entonces, dialogar con el ministerio es muchas veces dialogar con la pared. We are petitioning a government that was already malfunctioning. So, negotiating with the ministry often feels like talking to a wall. Because, despite generating proposals and receiving artistic and civic demands, which it listens to. When the time comes to publish information, publish how it will operate, this has nothing to do with the actual challenges we face. And that's when the dissatisfaction grew, and how what's happening on social media has been happening, and how the campaigns are created and the networks are formed. When the rescue package was published, it was based on an application process again. The government said, we are going to finance you with the approximate equivalent of 15 million pounds, and we're going to come to the rescue of all those networks. But in reality, what they did was to take next year's budget, take the programs that were thought through for 2021, and put them all, or almost all of them, in this emergency fund. So in the end, it's not that they are opening up a new program of support. So in the end, it's not that they are opening up a new program of support for artists. They are only fast-tracking a process that was going to happen anyway next year. So in the end, it's a bit like the words they are using are misleading. It's a bit like fake news. They are saying they are offering a pot of money, but in reality the money is not new. It is the same as the pot we had before. It's a bit of a weird way of going about it. And this approach is what has created such unrest. At the end of the day, there still hasn't been an overall concrete support for the arts in Chile. There hasn't been any help for venues, festivals, let alone for theatre companies and individual artists. Ah, and when they announced this £15 million help, they made it so people have to apply for it. I don't know. It's really hard to imagine how, nowadays, someone who needs help, who needs help to feed their family, who needs help to keep their children healthy, has to, on top of everything, 
create a project and apply to compete for financial help from their government. I ask how united is the sector in their demands for support in the face of COVID. Claudio explains, given many examples of how the funding system itself has created a highly precarious cultural ecology. Look, the collective union has its moments. It has to do with the different interests in each of the areas in the sector. The fight is not the same for a network of performance festivals as it is for a young company fresh out of drama school. In that sense, there are a number of fights going on. For instance, the first one is the subsistence of independent artists. In Chile, it hasn't been possible to create a structure for theatre companies to exist in the long term. Those that do are generally three or four people who then call out for other creatives to come together around a production. But it is also only year on year because there isn't any longer term funding available. Then, the funding that does exist is subjugated to the interests of the government, of the state. If one year is Shakespeare and Cervantes' anniversary, then they will make money available for Shakespeare and Cervantes. And you will get lots of projects about Shakespeare and Cervantes. But is this really what artists want to talk about when we are living through important social turmoil, when we are asking for important social and intersectional reforms that affects us all. These funds become like some sort of stock exchange from which everyone wants a piece to carry on their artistic development. But they are always conditional. Either it's the theme or it's conditional upon filling out a form, a form artists in rural areas do not have access to, a form you are asking artists who have always worked face-to-face to fill in a very tricky form, a big hurdle before accessing any type of help. And then when this crisis hit, the first question was, well, what do we do? The artists who don't have a project ongoing, who didn't get a grant last year, what do we do to bring food to the table now that we can't even go to juggle at the traffic lights, that we cannot go to do stand-up comedy at the weekend, now that we can't perform outdoors or in a small fringe or indie venue because everything has come to a halt? Well, 
What happens to these people now? That's the first question, starting with the most basic of needs. Then you get the organizational challenges, those organizations that do have funds, be that private or public. These grants, they have deadlines, expiry dates, because you have to develop the work and you are now facing a total reassessment of that work. It is a complete capsizing of what you do a complete reassessment of your finances, of your way of connecting with the audiences. It totally reshapes the entire structure of your work. And then you have the networks of museums, galleries, and the very theatres that do not have audiences anymore. Their work is at a standstill, and they become yet another product on offer as part of the internet where you have a piece of theatre next to a TikTok, next to a WhatsApp, next to an email. It's a universe that is like too much. It's like the Sodom and Gomorrah of, of the internet, like the new Tower of Babel. I tell Claudio my next episode is about universal basic income and its potential effects on the cultural industries. I ask him if he thinks UBI could be a solution to the challenges we face. Me parece perfecto. O sea, es que yo creo que sería uno de los grandes logros de la humanidad poder pensar en un eh, en un financiamiento universal básico. O sea, es eh, that's just perfect. I think that it would be one of the biggest achievements of humanity if we could bring about the universal basic income. This should be the logical thing to do. I don't think that people nowadays in 2020 should still have their basic needs unmet. And I'm talking to you here about a piece of bread. Considering the redistribution of wealth is also a necessary step. As the interview draws to a close, I ask Claudio what he would like to say to people listening. Nada, y como despedida, fuerza, fuerza, aguante, eh, convicción, sobre todo Strength, de que patience, eh, el arte finalmente va a ser lo que especially that art will save us. And it will save a lot of us eh, because it is going to reconnect us with our humanity. Entonces, so, wait it out, have patience, we will overcome this. Follow Claudio's work at santiagooff.com and on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. You can find the whole unedited original interview in Spanish where you listen to your podcasts. This was Untrained Effort. I'm Vodavin Swogel Christopher and in two weeks time, Universal Basic Income and
its potential effects on the creative industries. Until then, stay safe.